Welcome to the First Assembly podcast. We hope you enjoyed this week's message and find encouragement through the Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 I did this in first service and they, they knew the response. So I'm hoping that most of you know the response. God is good. And all the time, amen, amen. You may be seated. Praise the Lord. I'm grateful for the opportunity that, that Pastor Ben has given me to, to preach today. And uh, if you don't know who my wife is, she preached on prayer back in January. So that'll help kind of connect the two of us. And uh, when Pastor Ben said he was doing this series on return, and he he sent me a little email on it and said, hey, you're preaching on the 31st. Here's what the series is. And so I just wanted to come under his authority. And so I I said, Pastor, this is what's on my heart. So I fired back an email and I told him, kind of gave him an outline a little bit of where what I would be doing today. And he said, perfect. And I, I realized that listening to him two weeks ago as he started this series, that when he talked about the, the components, he said the three components out of, the, out of Revelation are that we are to remember, we're to repent, and we're to return. And I thought, man, that is so good because I know in my life that I need to be doing that. And uh, there are times because we're, none of us are perfect. And so, I, and so in what I'm preaching today, you're going to hear elements of the remember, the repent, and the return. Then last Sunday, I, I sat in service and I, I listened to Pastor Sarah and uh, I, I stopped her before service and I said, Pastor Sarah, you, I think this is what you said. I don't think this is what I wrote down, but I just want to make sure that I was I'm, that I'm quoting you. And that wasn't just something I made up. And I said, in your message last week, you made the statement, choose connection over disconnection. And she said, yep, you heard me correctly. And I said, great, because I said, that's right in line with where I'm going this morning. I got to take you back to December. Our daughter, who's a nurse in Phoenix, uh, flew home after Christmas. She spent a few days with us that she had off. And uh, she said when, we, we got, when she got home, she said, I want to go skiing. And so we went out to Lake Louise and uh, spent the morning skiing and then went in for lunch. And then after lunch, we made our way out to the glacier lift quad chair. And we were... It's just two of us, and we were in line, and we're getting up close to where you get onto the lift. And the ski lift operator, she says, two, and we go, two. And she goes, oh, look at that, two right beside you. And so the four of us are getting ready to get on the chairlift. And as this is happening, I'm kind of looking off and into just taking in the scenery that's there. And, and I'm noticing that the two beside me are, are chatting. And, and uh Jill, all of a sudden, what Jill does is she takes a look at the lift operator's name badge because on the name badge, it tells the city that they're from. And all of a sudden, I hear Jill, she goes, you're from Waterloo, Ontario. And the girl goes, yes. And with that, I turn. And so does the girl that's standing, sitting now, almost sitting beside me. And we turn and we do this 180. It's like, whoa, what's going on? Waterloo, Ontario, what you need to know. We spent 28 years of our life in Waterloo. That's where Jill grew up. And as this is happening, as our heads are turning, the girl beside me says, I'm from Waterloo as well. And I'm like, 
And, and Jill's like right on this. And she goes, I, like I lived in North Lake. And the girl goes, so did I. And, and the girl says to Jill, well, what's your name? And Jill says, my name is Jill Izinga. And this girl goes, Jill Izinga, you and I went to school together. I'm Nicole. <laughs> now here we are 3,700 miles away from where Waterloo is. And can you, and it was unbelievable riding up on that chairlift, listening to the two of them as they caught up on life. It was a great conversation. It was full of life and it was fun to listen to. Well, have any of you ever had that experience? You have been miles from where you grew up, maybe even miles from Calgary. And you think that you're in a place where nobody would know you. You're not going to know anybody. And all of a sudden you see somebody, you know, or somebody calls you by name. It's, it's a pretty unique feeling. It's pretty cool. And so I use that illustration this morning because we're going to look at a portion of scripture. Actually, we're going to look at an entire book of the Bible. And this morning we're going to read an entire book of the Bible. Just know that it's not the book of Psalms. Okay. Because in this book, which is really, if, you, if you're, you're thinking a book of the Bible, what, the, what, were, what was that? Well, it was a letter that was written, in this case, from the Apostle Paul to one of his dear friends. And so we're going to look at this letter because we're going to find out that in this letter, we're going to come across two people who meet almost 4,000 kilometers from where they first met. And many years had passed by since they had actually seen one another. As well as you read, I want you to keep your eyes and your ears open to people who've had to do a 180 because there's power in a 180. And those moments happen in life. And we're believing for those moments even to happen this morning. So here's what is said in this letter to Philemon. This letter is from Paul, a prisoner for preaching the good news about Christ Jesus and from our brother Timothy. I'm writing to Philemon, our beloved co-worker, and to our sister Aphia, and our fellow soldier Archippus, and to the church that meets in your house. May God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. I always thank God, I always thank my God when I pray for you, Philemon, because I keep hearing about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all of God's people. And I am praying that you will put into action the generosity that comes from your faith as you understand and experience all the good things we have in Christ. Your love has given much joy and comfort. My brother, for your kindness has often refreshed the hearts of God's people. That is why I am boldly asking a favor of you. I could demand it in the name of Christ because it is the right thing for you to do. But because of our love, I prefer simply to ask you, consider this a request from me, Paul, an old man, and now also a prisoner for the sake of Jesus Christ. I appeal to you to show kindness to my child Onesimus. I became his father in the faith while here in prison. Onesimus hasn't been of much use or to you in the past, but now he's very useful to both of us. I'm sending him back to you with my, and with him comes my heart. I wanted to keep him here with me while I was in these chains for preaching the good news. And he would have helped me on your behalf. But I didn't want to do anything without your consent. I wanted you to help because you were willing, not because you were forced. 
It seems you lost Onesimus for a little while so that you could have him back forever. He is no longer like a slave to you. He is more than a slave, for he is a beloved brother, especially to me. Now he will mean much more to you, both as a man and as a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it, and I won't mention that you owe me your very soul. Yes, my brother, please do this favor for the Lord's sake. Give me this encouragement in Christ. I am confident as I write this letter that you will do what I have asked and even more. One more thing. Please prepare a guest room for me. For I'm hoping that God will answer your prayers and let me return to you soon. Epaphras, my dear fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, send you his greetings. So do Mark, Aristarch, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my co-workers. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Well, let me give you the backstory of a couple of the people that you've heard mentioned in this letter. Philemon, to whom the letter was written, had come to Christ, had come to salvation some years before because of an evangelistic effort, the preaching of the gospel by Paul in the town in which, in which he lived. And what happened was that when Philemon heard the gospel and he listened to it, it impacted him because he not only wanted to just live for Christ, but he wanted to live in relationship with Paul. And he began to work with Paul in that city, which they believe is Colossae, in in such a way that he co-labored with Paul. What's beautiful is that Paul speaks about Mark and and Demas and these other men who co-labored with him. They were ones who put their shoulder to the wheel and they would go and they would spread the gospel and they would talk about the good news. And Philemon, although he stayed where his hometown was and the others traveled with him, Philemon was a man who had the same care to see people come into relationship with Jesus Christ. You know, as you read through this letter... You, you can't help but think of the fact that every one of us would want to have Philemon as a friend. You would want him. If you were the Apostle Paul, you would want this man as a friend. Just think of how Paul characterizes him. He says he's a man of faith. He's kind. He's generous. And he's a lover of people. Isn't that the kind of person you want as friend? But let me say this. Even more than having that kind of friend... What caught me as I read his story again is that I need to be that type of friend to other people. I need to be generous. I need to be kind. I need to be a lover of people. And so, as we know, Paul had this great relationship with him. And because of that relationship and because of the time spent together co-laboring, Paul would have been very well aware of who his wife was, who his kids were. He probably spent time in those days. You spent a lot of time in people's homes. And so because of that, he would have also known and had some familiarity with who the slaves were in Philemon's home. And so there wouldn't have been much about Philemon or his household that Paul wasn't aware of. Well, from when that happened in Philemon's life to where we've just read, as Paul says, I'm in prison and I'm in Rome. 
As I said, kilometers have been walked. Ships probably have taken Paul places. But now he finds himself in prison. And very likely, I'm sure that if I was in prison, this would have happened to me. Every time the prison door would have been opened, I would have wondered who they were throwing into the prison to join me in my cell. And one day, what a surprise it had to have been for the Apostle Paul as that prison door swings open into where he is. And as he looks up, he's looking into the face of a man that he hasn't seen for years. And as I said, last time he saw him, it would have been 4,000 kilometers to the, to the east. And, you know, I, I just think I know the Apostle Paul well enough that because he was blunt and to the point, I'm not thinking that when he saw Onesimus come into jail, that it was the kind of sweet conversation that I heard between Jill and Nicole as they were riding up Lake Louise. I have a feeling that there was something very pointed in what Paul was asking of him. We know why it is that Paul was in prison because of the preaching of the gospel. But the clarity we have on why Onesimus went into jail isn't as clear. There's indication that something happened in the house of Philemon. And the commentators believe that Onesimus probably stole something. And so because he stole something and not wanting to pay the price, he flees. And he's thinking, I know where I'm going to go. I'm going to the biggest city in the Roman Empire. I'm going to get lost there. Nobody's going to find me. I'll never have to pay for my transgression. He gets into Rome. And his old style of life overtakes him again, and he does something. But this time, he's caught. This time, when life catches up with him, he ends up in a cell. Now, at this point, it's probably fair to say, based on history, that Onesimus did not tell him, tell the Roman authorities, that he was AWOL, that he was a slave from the city of Colossae. Because if they had known that, they would have put him on the next, with the next Roman centurions and guards and taken him back to that city where he would have been whipped and beaten. And history says that when a slave went AWOL, often, very often, they were branded with the letter F, and that stood for fugitive. So everybody knew. I want to pause right there. Because some of you, as you've gone through life, And I talk about being branded. You would say, you know what, Marshall? I haven't been branded as a fugitive, but I've been branded. I've been branded by someone else or maybe by my own thinking. And and maybe the brand on you today that you think somebody's put on you or you put on yourself, it could be an F because it could stand for failure or it could be an F that stands for the way you were fired. Or an F that stands for your flirt. Just not, people don't really think too much of you. Maybe you've been branded with an I that stands for idiot or incompetent or inept. A U that would stand for ugly and useless. Or an S that stands for stupid or an L that stands for lazy. You think I carry this brand and that's how everybody sees me. I want you to know this morning. And you're going to hear this as you hear the story of Onesimus. He did a 180. He went from being useless. 
He went from being a thief to being somebody who was valued and valuable. And I can, I can assure you today that by the power of Jesus Christ in your life, that no matter how you've been branded, no matter how you think about yourself, you can do a 180. You can literally turn your life around. In fact, I was sitting down, just uh, sitting, waiting for this, waiting for it to come up and preach. I was thinking about this branding and it, and it dawned on me. First people, people in first service didn't get this. If you think you've been branded, I'm going to tell you right now, all it is, it's like a tattoo that you put on a child. It's, wa- it's going to wash off under the blood of Jesus Christ. It's going to wash off. That branding can't stay on you as a child of God. Oh, I've seen some tattoos. It takes a little bit of work to get them off, but they come off. And you are not who you think you are. You're not who others say you are. There's a 180 in your future. And you're going to go from being whatever people have thought of you to being useful and competent. It's one other thing I see in Onesimus' story because I see it in my own life. You see, in his life, what happened was that he went from one sin where he didn't really get caught or didn't pay the penalty of it to, to another sin where he did pay the penalty. And sometimes we have this understanding and we think, well, we just committed that sin. We didn't pay a penalty, so that, we're, we're okay. But folks, if you're like me, you know what it is to have had to pay the penalty for sin. And you get caught. But here's what can happen in somebody else's life because sometimes when you get caught and you repent... Okay, God, I'm, I'm going your way. But sometimes I've seen in people's lives that when they're caught in sin, they be, the enemy begins to tell them and say, you know what? You are so entangled. You are so ensnared by this sin that you have no way out. There isn't anything that you can ever do. And I'm going to say to you in the name of Jesus Christ, the one who sets you free, it doesn't matter the depth of your sin. It doesn't matter how long you've been entangled. There is a 180 in your future and it can start right now because it's never too late to turn from sin and to be set free by Jesus Christ. Let me go back for a few minutes just to the awkwardness I'm sure would have happened in the very first few minutes that uh, Paul and, and Onesimus found themselves looking at each other. Because I'm sure Paul, like I said, had questions. And finally, Onesimus probably came true with what had happened. But what I find interesting is that the questioner and the one answering the questions, I, I believe, began to turn. And all of a sudden, Onesimus is beginning to ask questions of Paul. Paul, you're in, you're, you're in prison because you're preaching the gospel. Why would you continue to preach? And so Paul gives him an answer. This is what Christ did for me. This is how he changed my life. Paul, I don't get it. You got to talk to me about it. You know what? I did see something happen in Philemon's life. Is that the power of the gospel? And Paul would go through and share the gospel with him. And Paul brought Onesimus to a point where he knew it was time to do a 180 and ask Jesus to forgive him of his sins. And little did he know that that 180 was going to have a profound impact on the rest of his life. This morning, I believe, just as there were people in the first service who needed to do a 180 from their sins 
and ask Christ to forgive them. There's people in this second service as well. You need to do that 180. You need to come to understand the love and the forgiveness there is in Jesus Christ. In a few moments, you're going to have that opportunity to ask Christ come in so that you can start this journey of a 180 that's going to lead you out of the bondage of sin. Can I also let you know that I think some of you probably wouldn't like me as I've been here in service this morning. Of course, I knew what I was preaching. And I began to think of people that I know are Onesimuses. They're running. And you wonder... You wonder, God, can you, can you ever get them to a place where they will do a 180? Will there ever come a time in their life where they will turn around? Where they will remember your goodness? Maybe some of them have walked away from God. They'll remember your goodness and they will repent and they will return. God, is there ever coming a moment where we're going to see that happen? Where I'm going to see it happen? This morning, I've had names of relatives that have gone through my heart. And I'm believing for Onesimus moments. I'll tell you what, nobody would ever have thought that in a jail, that Onesimus would come to Christ. God has this incredible way of making things happen in our worlds, where 180s happen at the most, what would seem like the most unexpected moment. And as much as you want to see somebody turn around and do a 180, God desires it more. Some of you are hoping for a friend who hasn't come to know Christ yet. You're saying, Lord, when will their moment be? I don't know. You just keep praying for him. You just keep asking and say, God, what you did for Onesimus, will you do for him? And you put in Bob's name or Rob's name or Sally's name, whoever's name you need to put it in. Because our Heavenly Father wants to have people know Him, experience Him, and become useful for the kingdom of God. Do you know what's incredible about Onesimus? The name Onesimus in Greek actually means useful. Isn't that incredible? A man who was useless finally became useful. So much so that Paul, as he writes this letter, says to his friend Philemon, I want you to know that Onesimus has ministered to or he has served me. And can't you just see Philemon's eyes pop open? Now think about this as being a phone call. And, and, and Philemon's hearing this. He's going, there's no way that guy is useless. He is no good. And you, hold it now. Hold it. You're telling me that he's turned into a useful person? How useful And so Paul would say, well, you remember in the early days, of, and this is kind of a model that you're kind of living by, Philemon, because I've told you the kind of things you do. Uh, the, the model is that there were deacons who served. And they just looked for ways to take care of the needs of people. And, uh, and Onesimus, I want you to know, or I mean Philemon, I want you to know that Onesimus is serving me. You can't believe how this man, as we're both in prison together, he's looking around for things that He thinks I may need, or he just, he's trying to even outthink me as to what I may need. 
But he's just doing always, he's just doing 180s all over the place, saying, what can I do to serve Paul? What can I, what needs to be done? How can I do it? I think of how it is that Onesimus lived his life in Paul's, in Paul's world, in Paul's circumstances, and it makes me wonder, am I living that way in my home? Am I looking for ways to serve my wife? Am I looking for ways to serve my kids and now even my grandkids? What about my workplace? If I'm asking those questions of myself, I'm sure that you can be asking those same questions because there's always 180s that we can be doing. What is it that we can be doing to meet the needs of other people? How is it that we can fulfill Philippians 2.4? It says we're taking interest in others. And yet Philemon would have been the kind of person who would have said, hold it, time out. Do you know what that relationship has cost me? Do you know the pain, the hurt, the disappointment? Do you know what it's cost me financially? What about the broken promises and the lies? I want nothing to do with him. You see, as I read that and read the letter again, I began to think to myself, what is it in what could it have been in Philemon's life that would have created that hardness of heart? I mean, sure, the circumstances would lead that way. Was there something else? And the word cynicism came to mind. You see, cynicism will deaden your heart through doubt, distrust, and disbelief. And it'll do so about a person due to some negative interaction with that individual. And what's sad is that cynics believe that people will never change. And so what I have seen in my years is that cynicism can become so deeply rooted in the heart that even when somebody changes, the cynic will still speak negatively of that, of that person and will say, that's not going to last. Kidding me? That's not going to last. And so cynicism will destroy any remnants of any bridge work that could ever be used to rebuild a relationship It's because cynicism just erodes trust. And sadly, what cynicism can actually do in our lives is we become cynical about someone and that will spread into future relationships with other people because of our past experience. I was doing a little research after I'd written that line and I came across Stephen Colbert. Some of you know that name, probably watch him on TV Stephen Colbert said, cynicism is a self-imposed blindness. He's got it. A couple other things from my observation is that cynics live a miserable, lonely, bitter life. And what happens, sadly, is that the cynicism that's in the head begins to hemorrhage into the heart. And it takes an emotion, it takes a spiritual toll on us, and it leaves us with a soul or a spirit that shrivels. Cory Booker, who's who's a he's a politician in the States, I think he's a senator, but he has some Baptist roots. He said, Cynicism is a toxic spiritual state. What do we do with things that are toxic? We try to remove them. We try to cleanse them as fast as we've come, as fast as we get as close to them. And so we have to be careful that we're not letting cynicism grow in our lives. But you can see as you overlay what I've just said about cynicism and you overlay it what you know, what I've said to you about Philemon's life, it's not hard to see that he could have become cynical about Onesimus. 
or even cynical about the letter that he was reading about this man and the change. And so this morning, if you're sitting here and you're listening to me, I I wonder, is there cynicism in your heart? And if there is, what has made you cynical of other people? Did they break their word to you? Did they steal something from you? Maybe something other than money? Maybe you were expecting a kind or gracious word and instead you, you received a harsh comment or an ungracious response. Something has happened. When you're cynical of someone, your cynicalness, your cynicism, I should say, will breed resentment, bitterness, and hatred. It'll turn your heart cold and you'll become hard-hearted and you'll actually become critical in spirit. In fact, it gets to the point in some cynics where even if the person that they, they don't like, they're holding a grudge against, even if they were to do something kind to them, the cynical person won't, will withhold kindness, grace, and mercy. Paul knew that it was going to take some work. It was going to take some effort for Philemon to get to a place where he could, was willing to restore relationship with this one-time slave. And as I read the letter, I was caught by what Paul is really saying, as it were, between the lines. He's saying to him, Philemon, I'm asking you to take a new look at your old slave. I want you to see him from a different perspective But really, the different perspective isn't how you treat others. It's how you're looking at him. Because Philemon, I've already identified that you're a kind, loving, generous man of faith. And Philemon, that's what I'm asking you to do in regard to Onesimus. When When I think about this part of the story and I think about Onesimus coming back into Philemon's life, I believe it or not, I actually had a picture of me with hair. Now, I know that I know that that sounds a little crazy because you can't imagine what I look like with hair. But down here in the front row, the second person in with a big smile. That's me. That's me with the afro right there. That's that's. Bring it. I wish I could. I wish I could. So you're asking yourself, why does that picture of me with hair, like what does that have to do with Philemon and Onesimus? Well, you see, you have to understand something. That when I washed my hair to keep it tame and to keep it manageable and to keep it untangled, I actually had to use more conditioner than I did shampoo. Friend of mine was a friend of my wife's and I, a couple, they were going through pastors, they were going through a, a difficult time. And, and um, as they went to talk to a counselor, and they were talking about what was going on in their world, and they could have easily become quite cynical by what was happening. The counselor, look, counselor looked at them and said, Steve, I need you to just keep a big, soft heart. And as he said that, I thought, yeah, to keep a big, soft heart means we have to condition it with forgiveness. We have to condition it with kindness, with grace. 
And last night I thought of Micah 6, 8, which, which says, what does the Lord require of me? Requires that I love mercy. And when I love mercy, I'm going to be merciful. And there are times in life where it's going to take a lot of conditioning of the heart. And if you're at a place where you've been cynical a long time, it's going to take a lot. It could take a lot of condition, a lot of conditioner. But the beautiful part of it is that as you begin to do that and you condition to keep your heart big and soft, it's amazing what the Spirit of God's going to do to help you. There's one last thing, because there was one last word that came to mind as I thought about what I needed to do to condition my heart. And this may sound like a strange word, but the word was careful. And if that sounds like a strange word, let me, let me help you understand. And what I mean by careful is that if there's cynicism in your heart, if you become cynical about something or someone, I want you, I'm asking you today that you would look carefully at somebody's life and not critically. Because what can happen is, is that when, you, when pe- people change, and sometimes we don't even want to acknowledge the change. But when we look carefully, we're looking for two things. One is the sign of positive change. And then, not only do we have to say, hear that there's positive change happening, but I believe that there comes a point where there needs to be fruit that's developed from that change. It's right in line with what uh, Luke 3.8 says, where it says that there should be the fruit of repentance. We're to bear the fruit of repentance. And so what I would say to you and what I believe this scripture is saying to us is that when Paul wrote his letter to Philemon, he was saying, Philemon, I want you to be careful. I want you to understand that I'm writing a letter to you because he's become a a son of mine in the faith. He's come to know Christ just like you know Christ. But Philemon, as much as I could have written you a letter when that first happened, I actually stopped. I didn't write anything until I watched for the fruit of repentance. And now based on, based on the, the 180 being what I would say is complete, where not only is he's asked Christ in his life, but there is this 180 in his life where he's now serving me. I, I believe that you're not only going to see faith in him, but you're going to see the fruit of repentance. And I, I really believe that as, as he saw those, as he saw Onesimus come back with that letter, wondering what it was all about and read the letter, Onesimus just lived his life before him as a man of faith, as someone who bore the fruit of repentance. If there's somebody that your cynicism has taken hold, I'd ask you to look carefully and not critically. I want you to look for signs of fruit and change. I, I want you to look for them that, that as they've repented and they've returned, as pastor spoke about two weeks ago. And I want you to do what Sarah said last week and choose connection over disconnection. Two final thoughts for you this morning. The first is for just maybe a couple of you. This is your Onesimus moment. Pastor Chris is going to come back up in a moment, but it's your time for you to do a 180. It's your time to come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior.
It's your time. The second, if, if this message has touched you because there's a little bit of Philemon, a little bit of, of cynicism in your life about somebody or something, I want you to know it's time for a 180. And I want you to ponder for a moment this question. Is a relationship reset required? Thank you so much for listening to this message. We pray that you have received truth and have been encouraged. For more information about First Assembly, how to get connected, and to listen to our latest worship albums, please visit our website at www.fa.church. 